Christ. Father, thank you so much for this day. Uh, as we um, uh, look into your word today, God, I pray that we would uh, see uh, your grace in our lives. We would truly also see uh, who you have called us to be and uh, how you want us to live and act and operate. And so, God, as we look in your word, God, enliven um, the spirit, your spirit, and each and every man in this room, the ones that are on Zoom as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You know, last week we talked about if we're going to uh, uh, really be called to greatness, see the greatness that God has uh, called us to, we've got to learn to develop and build a bold and uh, courageous and a strong faith. Uh, today, I want to talk to us about this idea. We hear a lot about it today. Uh, is we need to really know who our identity is, our identity in Christ. I was reading an article this week that said uh, somewhere between seven to ten percent of Americans uh, will have their identity stolen. Did y'all know that? Between seven and ten percent, we hear a lot about that. But I, I, that was the first time I had ever seen stats put to it. Between seven and ten percent of Americans, at some point in your life, you will have your identity stolen. Someone will uh, go and uh, uh, get a credit card in your name, open up some sort of an account. You got one right back there. Here's the negative part. All right. Here's if that was not negative not at all uh, enough. 21% of people who have had their identity, identity stolen will have it stolen again. Doesn't that just make you excited? Because apparently once your information is out there, it is out there in a significant way. And so those who get their identity, the best thing you can do is keep from having your identity stolen the first time. Now, as we think about this, um, and we come back to our identity in Christ, there are a lot of times that as we journey through life and journey through this world that our identity is stolen. Uh, that Satan shows up in our lives instead of uh, us being reminded of who we are in Christ, that we are forgiven, we are empowered, we are gifted by God, uh, we were saved by grace, we are eternally secure. But instead, from time to time, we begin to think like someone we are not. And so as we come to today, I want us to understand the reality that knowing who we are in Christ is absolutely vital for each and every one of us. You know, sometimes um, the only way uh, you can get out of an identity stolen crisis, and this is a real deal, is uh, you can report it to your credit agencies all you want. You can cancel the credit cards once you find out about it. You can do whatever you want to do out there, but sometimes the only option you really have is you have to file for bankruptcy just to hold people at bay for a while. Now think about that. Someone has stole your identity. You haven't done it. But all you can do is file for bankruptcy just to get the creditors to finally stop calling, to push it away until you can get it all sorted out. Now, the beautiful thing about God's grace is that for us to really become who God wants us to be is we've got to declare bankruptcy first. We have to come to God and say, I am completely bankrupt. In and of myself, I can't pay my bill. I can't come close to paying my bill. When I think about all the sins that I've committed, I can't pay for one. I cannot pay for one. But for us to truly come to Christ in faith, it starts with us declaring bankruptcy. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest no one should boast. Now, once we've declared bankruptcy and by faith accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, and because of the grace of God, we have received God's riches at Christ's expense, then we become a new person. We get a new name, a new social security number. We get a spot in heaven, not just for a season or for a song, but for all of eternity. And then beyond that, when we make our journey through life, we want to make sure that our identity is never stolen. And so if we're going to do that, let's look back to real quickly, and Justin's going to go through some of these, um, as we think about the fact that we have to declare bankruptcy as uh, followers of Christ to ultimately get that clean slate we so desperately need. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 to 17. These are the words that I, I spoke from, the passage I spoke from Sunday morning. And notice what it says. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. Second time he uses the word peace. And be thankful. First time he uses the words be thankful. He says, let the message of Christ richly uh, dwell richly among you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing to God with an with attitude of gratitude in your heart. Then look at verse 17. That's the second time he's mentioned gratitude. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Third time he mentions this, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, as we think about our new identity, what does that truly mean? What does it mean that we are to know who we are in Christ? And really, what does it look like? And I'm going to begin to go ahead, go, go through passages of Scripture and give you uh, some words. And hopefully you'll write these down. Because these ultimately are the key to our greatness. If we build a faith, all right, a great faith that we trust God regardless. But then we also have to always step back and know who we are as followers of Christ. And here's thought number one. And thought number one is this, I am in Christ. What does it mean that I am in Christ? I am united with Christ. Once I trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I am no longer isolated. I'm no longer rejected. I'm no longer apart from God. Um, I also no longer have to walk around this world hating life, hating Monday, yesterday. I can instead bask in the reality that while it might be dark outside, I've got light in my soul. I can bask in the reality that while I might be financially broke, spiritually I'm completely rich. That's what it means that I am in Christ. I'm not isolated. I'm not rejected. What does it say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? Here's what Peter said. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of His darkness and into His marvelous light. Let me ask you a question. Who in here on Zoom or in the room, how many of you um, woke up today thinking of yourselves as royalty. I didn't, right? Probably no one in this room. We, probably most of us, other than maybe staying in a really nice vacation resort or a really nice hotel from time to time, uh, probably none of us in our lives have ever woken up thinking, I'm royalty, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a king. 
And the reality of it is, why? Because we're not kings, right? Now, I have been blessed, like you have, uh, from time to time, uh, to be in some hotels where Gene and I walk in the hotel and just kind of, you ever been in one of these hotels, you're just kind of like, I don't know if we're supposed to be here because I just feel out of place. Or you end up at a resort somehow. Uh, maybe, maybe if it's like us, what you're doing is you're, you're staying at the little resort down the road and you drive to the nice resort. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just because you've heard about it, you've read about it, Gina says, let's go over there. The truth is, most of us did not wake up today feeling like we're, we were royalty. But the truth is, we are royalty. Man, you are a royal priesthood. I love that. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now, here's the challenge. A holy nation. When I am in Christ, I am part of a holy nation. Now, my guess is, just like uh, no one in this room woke up or on Zoom, you woke up thinking of yourself as royalty, you probably didn't walk in this room looking around you thinking you were standing in part of a holy nation, right? Because you know these guys, and we share, our, we share our flaws, we share our struggles, we share our difficulties, we're, we're honest with each other. We don't think of ourselves as a holy nation, but we need to. But we're not holy in and of ourselves, we're holy because we have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. That makes us a royal priesthood and a holy nation, no doubt, God's special possession. God's special possession. Just, just to think about the fact, when I think about my identity as being in Christ, united with Christ, that I am part of a royal priesthood. I am a part of a holy nation. But then God looks at me. God looks at you. The God who spoke the world into existence. The God who created everything. The thing, to think that that God looks down from His throne in heaven and says, John Mark, He's one of mine. He's one of mine. And he looks around this room and He says, Chet or George or Doug or Paul or Joe or Rex or whoever. God looks down and he says, that one's mine. What an incredible thought. What incredible... You, you ever been a parent sitting um, in a stadium? And you're watching your kid play and you find yourself, you know, you've got a bunch of other people in the stadium and you, you've got uh, a bunch of other kids on the court and you are watching one player and that's your kid. The reality of it is that's the way God views us. Is that we are united with Christ, we are in Christ, and we are God's special possession. That you, here's our job, may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Now we've got a job to do as, royally, as part of the royal priesthood, as part of the holy nation, as one of God's own special possessions, you and I have something we need to do, which is constantly declare His marvelous light. If all we do, um, you know, and, and they made it easy, easy for us this year, if all we did was talk Dallas Cowboys, 
They made it easy this year for us not to talk Dallas Cowboys, didn't they? Uh, if all we did is talk Dallas Cowboys, but didn't acknowledge the fact that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, we'd be missing the mark and we'd be missing our purpose. If all we did was talk politics and never talked about the fact that we were a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, we were God's special possession, we'd be missing the mark. If all we ever posted in social media was something that had nothing to do with the fact that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, we would be missing the mark. I, I, I don't know if, um, I don't follow it much, but it seems like almost every, uh, at least once or twice a week, uh, every time you open up the, uh, the newspaper, who, who's the co Is it Megan and Harry? Which, who, are the, who are the two that are uh, the, the one, the, the royalty that they're now in, in, in California? What's their names? Yeah, yeah, you have to ask our wives. They're in the news every day. Every time they tweet something, every time they show something, every time they do something, and they walked away from the royal priesthood, but the media fawns over them like crazy. And they're always doing this, and they're always doing that, promoting what? Not the king and the queen, their own kingdom. And they have basically walked away from their possessions. People of God, men of God, if, if we reject the fact that we are part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special possession, and we live our life like they do, only concerned about ourselves, we have missed the mark that part of our call is to talk about the awesome and amazing God that we serve, who forgave us and gives us ultimately the gift of eternal life. As we think in that same vein of I am in Christ, united with Christ, look at what Paul said in Titus chapter 1, verse 3. He says, at one time... We too were foolish. Now look around the room, look on Zoom. We're still a little foolish, right? Uh, but Paul says not in that way. He says at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. What is he saying? Paul's saying, you know, there was a time in our lives that uh, we let passion rule the day. There, were, there was a day in our life when we let our own personal desires rule our day. But then notice what he says. He says, we lived with malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now think about that. He says, there was a time when we journeyed through life. All we did was hate and be hated. Hate and be hated. Anybody ever feel like that uh, uh, day at the office, right? He goes, that's the way I used to live. Now, now think about him. As Paul's writing to Timothy, remember what Paul was? Paul was a Pharisee, right? Man, they, they, they had a whole profession of hate. They had a whole profession of legalism. And Paul says, man, there was a time when I journeyed through life, and all I did was I hated and was hated. I hated and was hated. He says, but that's not the way I am today. So as you think about your life, when you think about being united with Christ, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, do you spend your life living out in disobedience? Are you deceived? Are you enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures? Uh, do you live with malice and envy in your life? Are you consistently hated and hating others? If so, we're missing the mark. But Paul acknowledges that was, in fact, the way I used to live. 
But it's not the way I live today. Then notice what he says. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Everybody say He saved us. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. What is He saying? He's saying, folks, we were bankrupt. I was spiritually, morally, emotionally, mentally, relationally completely bankrupt. And God showed up in my life and adopted me and brought me into His family. But He didn't just say, hey, John Mark, come in. I'm going to give you a place in eternity in heaven, but you're going to be way, 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 way down there in heaven. Now, I don't know how far down there in heaven, but I bet it's a long way. How many, do we at least understand that? We don't know how big that is. But if He puts you way down there in heaven, it's a way down there. But listen, He didn't show up and say, you know what, you're bankrupt, you're this, emotionally, mentally, relationally, morally, you are completely bankrupt. I'm going to give you a spot in heaven, but you're going to be there. No, instead God said, hey, come join me. I'm going to make you part of the royalty. Come join me, even though you have malice and envy in your heart, you have been bitter, you've been driven by your passions and your own desires, and all of those things add up to nothing. But God said, even in spite of all that, I'm going to save you out of it, and you're going to be one of my special possessions. Now, as we think through that, what an amazing thought. But then notice verse 4. He says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of our righteousness that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal in the Holy Spirit. You know, as we think about that, uh, a rebirth, we, 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 we go back to John chapter 3. Remember, Nicodemus showed up to, to Jesus and, and, and said, Teacher, how can I enter into the, into the kingdom of God? And Jesus responded, Listen, you must be born again. Nicodemus' immediate response was what? Um, it's kind of impossible. He says, Physically, you can only be born once, and you're usually about this big. But now that you've grown up, he, he asked the question, can a man re-enter his mother's womb? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You must be born of water and the Spirit. How many of you remember that whole dialogue that Jesus had? Now, there are some who believe the water that Jesus is talking about there, that Jesus is actually talking about uh, that you have to be baptized. Once you have been saved, then you go be baptized. That is not it at all. Jesus is talking about uh, a bit of human physiology that in our family, that uh, when, when Gina's water broke, we were with child in 45 minutes. I don't know about y'all. Some of y'all had those lingering long. We didn't. All right? And the reality, what Jesus was saying, you have to be born physically. That's the water birth. But then you also ultimately, if you are going to be born again, it is spiritual. That's the same thing Paul says here. Is that guys, for you and I, we have been born once. We will then die once, physically. Now after your physical death for each and every one of us, there is ultimately a judgment that is coming. Do we understand? 
It is appointed for a man, Hebrews said, once to die and then judgment. After we die in this earth, there are no second chances. It is we die and we are judged based on what we did with Jesus Christ while we were on this earth. So Jesus said, man, it is appointed for you to be born once of water and once of the Spirit. Then the question is, you roll down, have we by faith accepted Jesus Christ? Because Jesus said, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. So as we come back to this passage, Paul says he saved us through the washing of rebirth. Have you been born again? Have I been born again? And renewal in the Holy Spirit. Once I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ, then God sends the Holy Spirit to me. And the Holy Spirit seals me and protects me. Not until my next sin. Not until I break my New Year's resolution. Not until I fail to read my clean slate devotion. Although those are all good things, by the way. But he says, until the day of redemption. Boy, as we think about the washing of rebirth, the renewal found in the Holy Spirit, when God saves us, He seals us until the day of redemption. What an incredible thought that... When God saves us and saves you and me, doesn't have an expiration date. Have you thought about that? It, it doesn't have a sin count. How many of you are grateful that from the time you were saved... I mean, let me ask you a question. Let's be honest, right? If, if God saved us, completely forgave us, and gave us the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven. And God said, listen, but you only get a thousand sins until you die. How many of you would agree that's still a pretty good deal if you had no opportunity for salvation to begin with? Do you understand what I'm saying? If someone walked up to you and said, here's a thousand bucks, spend them wisely, you would be grateful for the thousand bucks, right? And you would do your best to spend them wisely, perhaps. But even if God showed up to us and said, Hey, I'm going to completely forgive you of all your past mistakes. How many of you? We don't deserve that. Do we understand that? Let's start right there. We would not deserve for one of our past sins to be forgiven. And then what if Christ, what if God said, And I'm going to go ahead and pay the price for your next thousand sins. How many of you would realize that? that's pretty generous? Do we understand? Now, some of y'all are scared to death. By the way, th this is hypothetical, okay? Because some of y'all are blown way past a thousand, all right? But that would still be generous. I think a lot of times we, we get so caught up in the reality of our own lives that we forget how generous and gracious God was to forgive us for one sin when you consider the cost. Much less the fact that He sealed us, not for a certain time, not for a certain season, not even for a certain number of sins, but until the day of redemption. 
when God looks at us, Ron, when God looks at you, he said, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, my special possession, and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to seal you until you return right here to me. Pretty impressive. And now as you continue to read, the Holy Spirit, verse 6, Titus chapter 1, whom He poured out on us generously. Good Lord. Guys, if we are truly going to understand who we are in Christ, if we're going to know our identity in Christ, we have to step back and not only celebrate the fact that we are royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, but we have to remember how incredibly gracious and generous God is for even allowing us to sniff forgiveness, to hang on to salvation, to ultimately have a place in His heaven. So when we think about our identity, Thought number one is simply this, you and I are in Christ. Here's the second thought. If you want to know who your identity is, not only are you in Christ, you are alive. Everybody say alive. Now there are times, I will tell you, as your pastor, particularly on, at 6 a.m. On, uh, on Tuesday mornings, that I am looking at you, I am preaching to you, I am teaching you, and I am not sure that you are alive. I want you to know. Uh, there are, how many of you know what I'm, There are times on Sunday morning that I look out and I am uh, almost certain that there are some folks that are listening to the sound of my voice and they are either dead or that's the best nap they've all had, all, uh, had all week. But there is a reality, not only am I in Christ when I think about my identity, but I am not just in Christ, I am alive in Christ. Now, I'm not alive in Christ, meaning perked up a little it means I once was dead. Everybody say dead. And dead is dead, boys. I once was dead, but now I am alive. We've watched enough doctor movies, right? We all know how many of you think you could use the paddles by now. How many of you have seen enough that, in fact, I, I would love Paul or, or Justin. Justin, let's bring some in. I'd just love to practice. I've seen it done enough that I'd love for one of y'all just to volunteer for me to pop you. You got to put some goo right in there. You got to you got to rub them together. You got to tell everybody what is it back or whatever, and then you just yeah clear clear that's the word. I would use that word, and then we could pop you, Ron. We could start with you, just boom. You know you say that does not sound appealing at all. Why? Why does it not sound appealing for me to pop you and say clear? Oh, he's bringing he's bringing it right now. All right, let me. Somebody answer the question. Why does it not sound appealing to you at all, other than my untrainedness? Why? Because you're alive. Fill in the blank. How many of you, if you were dead laying on that floor and I've never used that machine, you would want me to give it a go? All right? Now all of a sudden you're fired up about getting in my line. I'm better than Johnson's Johnson's vaccine. See, here's the reality. A lot of times we forget the fact that, guys, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. 
we, we, weren't, we weren't hopping along, we weren't journeying along a little bit. We were absolutely dead, and we have to understand if we know our identity in Christ, I am in Christ, but I am alive in Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Justin, as we look at it, and, and as we think about it, I'm no longer, when, when I become saved and the Spirit of God dwells in me, I'm no longer dead, but now I am alive in Christ. I'm no longer hating God. I'm not, no longer loving the world. I'm no longer a child of Satan. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, as for you, everybody say, that's me. All right, as for you, he says, you were dead. That word in the original Greek, you might want to write this down. It's a pretty cool word. It means dead. All right? That word right there means dead. You, 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 your, your heart wasn't beating a little bit spiritually. You were completely dead. What were we dead in? We were dead in your transgressions and in your sins. In other words, I was spiritually dead in the muck of my own sinfulness, in my own failures, in my own bitterness toward God, in my own selfishness, and all of those things. In other words, I wasn't just dead. I was dead in my own junk. Why was I spiritually dead? Not because of something someone else did. Sure, I'm still a bit angry at Adam. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? I wish things were better. But the truth is, here's what I know. Every time I've ever committed a sin, guess who's always been at the scene of the accident? Me. Right? So he says, listen, you were dead, spiritually dead, in your transgressions and in your sins, in which you lived when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now let me stop you there. We've already looked at our identity in Christ means that I am a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a person for God's own special possessions. And Paul acknowledges, but when we were dead and no longer alive, we were a part of Satan's kingdom. We weren't living in our own ways in which you lived and followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of this kingdom of this, the air. He says, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Look at verse 3. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and our thoughts. He goes, like the rest... We were by nature deserving of wrath. Guys, let me just stop you right there. For the follower of Christ who has been saved by grace has been pointed to a position of being part of the royal priesthood who is amazingly even told because of our sinfulness that we are part of a holy nation and we are God's special possession. When you read that, there is no place for spiritual pride. There is no place for spiritual arrogance. Why? Because we didn't save ourselves. We were dead. You ever... Uh, see the story, and I always love them. I, I do love the stories 
Um, you, you just read a headline and, and you're, you're looking through, especially these days, you're looking for a good headline and it'll say, it'll say, woman meets paramedic who saved her life. How many of you love those stories? Or you'll say, uh, child grows up, goes back to meet doctor who performs miracle surgery. I don't know about you. I love reading those stories. I really do. I click on them. And, and they, they usually talk about this story that this happened or, or, or from time to time, it'll talk about sister saves brother or, or say, and you just love those stories, right? I love those stories when we think about it. And they usually, when they come back, say, man, I would have died without them. They usually don't talk about their part. Yeah, I was drowning at the bottom of the pool, and uh, I was just laying there waiting for her to show up. No, there is a reality that you were saved. You were going to die. And, and, and child of God, here's what we need to understand. For you and me, we played no part in this saving, except for simply receiving through faith. And that means that there is no place for spiritual arrogance. There's no place for spiritual pride. Sometimes we can, we can get saved and we can be forgiven. And we can shape our life up just a little bit. We can, we, we can trim off the, tr the rough edges. And, and, and if we aren't careful, we can begin to look down on other people. Paul was pretty clear. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our own flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's what we deserve. Now, here's the good news. Verse 4, this is where we close today. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Why? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Then notice verse 6, And then God has raised us up. Everybody say raised us up. God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Child of God, man of God, on Zoom or in person, when we leave here today, we are part of a royal priesthood. We are part of a holy nation. We are a, a, a special possession of God. Not because of anything I did, but because of everything that God did. You and I were dead in our own trespasses and sin. Dead, dead, dead. But God, because He is rich in mercy, made us alive together in Christ. So as we pray and we leave these doors today, guys, make sure that you let your identity in Christ determine what you say, what you do, how you post, and how you live. Because as children of the King, we have a special opportunity in this season and in this time to point people to the only way out which is ultimately the grace of God let's pray father thank you so much for this day God I pray as men even though that we may not feel like it today that we would be reminded that we are in fact a royal priesthood a holy nation that we are your special possession. But God, let us be reminded that we were spiritually dead, 
and because of your grace you made us alive. Therefore, God, as we journey out here, we journey out of this place as spiritual and relational royalty, but with humility of mind, knowing that but for the grace of God, we would not be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.